Recently, I had the honor of publishing the foundational article for our Algorithms with an Amen series. A national news outlet, ChristianPost.com, picked up the piece and ran it in God's timing on the third birthday of the Family Disciple Me ministry. The link to that article is in the show notes. The ensuing conversation thread that article launched went every direction, from people agreeing with what I wrote to people vehemently disagreeing with what I wrote. My favorite comment was this, and I quote, A common talking point among liberals is that evangelical Christians have a martyr complex where they are so eager to feel victimized, they'll turn otherwise innocuous events into persecution. This particular gentleman went on to attack what I wrote about algorithms and choosing God and living by God standards in a world that doesn't especially like Christians. He described himself as not the least bit religious, but engaging the dialogue on the ChristianPost.com thread because he enjoys debate. But in all the back and forth of conversation, the reason for his angst against Christians and Christianity finally came out. And that's what I want to talk about in this podcast. This week in our final conversation about algorithms with an amen, we're focusing on choosing a godly life. This is such an important discipleship conversation to have with our kids. And this man's story is, I believe, a case in point. So let's cue the intro and then let's dive right into choosing a godly life, how the world will know. What truth are we speaking into the next generation? What legacy are we creating for those we care about? Are we making a difference so that our kids will know Jesus? Hi, my name is Tasha Williams, and the answers to these questions really matter to me. And if you're a Christ follower, I'm sure they matter to you too. I'm the founder of the Family Disciple Me ministry, and we are convinced that there's power in our Jesus stories, that God's word is life-changing, and that discipleship doesn't have to be intimidating. So join us as we talk about faith, scripture, relevant topics, intentional discipleship, and the next generation. Friends, it starts with a conversation. So let's get going on this podcast right now. His name is Jason. And since he published his comments under his name, I suppose it's fine for me to use his name here as well. I don't know Jason. But I do know that when the article for this algorithm series was published last week on ChristianPost.com, Jason came out a swingin'. He accused evangelical Christians of having a martyr complex. He said we turn innocuous events into persecution. He said we post crazy and false posts on Facebook, that Christians go the extra mile and shout that LGBTQs are evil, demonic, depraved, diseased people who are constantly on the prowl for our kids, etc., 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 Much was said back and forth in the comment thread. And then one person, who I believe is a Christ follower, respectfully and thoughtfully asked Jason why he thinks the way he thinks about God and Christianity. 
And that's when Jason's story came out. He grew up in a church. He went to church until he was 15, but none of it, he said, ever made sense to him. In fact, he said that when he was eight, his pastor and Sunday school teacher actually had a conversation with his parents about how he asked too many questions and didn't have enough faith. Basically, Jason never believed any of it. Not for one second, he said. It's that I'm just not a religious person. I put it as I don't have a religious bone in my body, which to me means that faith-based thinking just doesn't resonate with me at all. End of quote. Now that, I believe, is the heart of Jason's story. And because a Christ follower respectfully and kindly and thoughtfully asked him about his story, inviting him into conversation, well, Jason was willing to share it. And then to that person, he said, it's nice to not get the typical flamethrower responses to my post. What Jason had to say really struck me, because though he came out a swinging at my article, he stopped the swinging when somebody responded to him in love and kindness and asked him respectfully why he thinks what he thinks. As a pastor's wife, as a person in ministry, Jason's story made me so sad. I got into the comment thread and and I told Jason that I'm sorry that he was chastised as a child for not having enough faith or for asking too many questions. I told him that children are to be taught and trained and loved well by their parents and by churches and ministries. I told him I believe that discipleship in Jesus' name starts with a conversation, a dialogue that is relational and that is birthed out of what a believer has seen and experienced with the Lord, but is not based on throwing flames and arrows at somebody. I told Jason that I think it's amazing that he continues to engage the dialogue despite what he's experienced from people along the way. And I asked God to give me the wisdom for how to speak blessing over him in that conversation thread. This was just an online conversation, but I felt great weight in it because Jason could either see Jesus through me or I could block his view. This matters very much to God. Scripture is full of imperatives of how we are to choose to live if we choose to be Christ followers. The book of James says that faith without works is dead. James was the brother of Jesus, by the way, and he wrote, Show me your faith apart from your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. James went on to write, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And meekness, I might add, is not weakness, but strength under control. And just to be clear, throwing flames at unbelievers about faith, like Jason experienced, probably isn't an example of meekness with wisdom and strength under control. Now, to be clear, We should stand up for our God-given convictions, but we must do it in a way that honors Him. The book of James goes on to say, Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This, my friends, is the summation of the Algorithms with an Amen series. God's Word 
tells us the right things to do. God's Word tells us how to choose a godly life. The book of James tells us we are to be compassionate and merciful. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are to be prayerful for one another and for our nation. We are to confess our sins, and we are to bring people back who sin. We are to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We are to control our tongues, making sure that we don't bless God and curse others out of the same mouth. And these are just some of God's ways that are found in the book of James. We are to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We are to be aware of the times and the seasons, watchful of what is happening in the world around us and living for God in the midst of it. God's word is full of directions and commands about how God wants his people to live godly lives. In Deuteronomy 6, way back at the beginning of establishing his word, God said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. We are to teach and train the next generation about what it means to love God and live out our faith through godly lives. This happens along life's way, in conversations we have when we get up and go to bed, when we're on our way here and there, and when we're sitting at home. This does not happen by shutting down their questions, avoiding the hard topics, or assuming that the next generation is going to believe what we believe. This also doesn't happen by belittling the lack of faith that others have when we come into contact with them. We are to be winsome witnesses so that the next generation will know and the world will know. We're to talk about why we do what we do, to answer the questions that our kids are asking, to explain to them our God-honoring reasons for our own actions, and to repent when we get it wrong. Part of God's ways for us is to use our time and our opportunities to gently and patiently teach the next generation and all those entrusted to us. I apologize to Jason in that comment thread for the way spiritual people shut down his questions, were impatient with his debate, belittled him for his skepticism. And he responded, Tasha, to be quite clear, the church folks mostly spoke to my parents about my habit of questioning everything. It wasn't until I was older that my mom told me the story I described. Also, I've gone to other churches since then, some of which were quite nice, but I still just don't believe the Christian story, and I'd say it's highly likely that I never will. How did we get from him being angry about my algorithms with an Amen article all the way to having this honest conversation about why he doesn't yet believe? I think it's because of living out a godly life and putting into practice the principles. And I'm not just saying that about myself. I'm saying it about the gentleman on ChristianPost.com who engaged Jason in a, in a respectful, loving conversation in the first place. And because that gentleman was willing to live a godly life, even in the digital realm, 
I was able to have a follow-up conversation with Jason that kept going to the heart of the matter. I responded to Jason and said, Your comment made me smile. I told him that I'm praying for him, that I've experienced God, that I know what it's like to have hard questions, and how my husband says, if you don't doubt your faith, I doubt your faith. I assured him that truth is to be found, that God is real, and that I would love to talk to him more about faith. And we'll see how the dialogue continues. But here's the thing. This unexpected conversation with Jason is a perfect example of of our discipleship conversation. As we finish our Algorithms with an Amen series, our verse that goes along with the conversation this week is 1 Peter 2.12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Choosing God And choosing his ways results in a godly life that is visibly good so that even the pagans, the unbelievers around us, seeing our lives, seeing our posts, watching our actions, and listening to our words, they may be able to see Jesus through us. I have no idea the reach of that article on ChristianPost.com, but here's what I do know. There's at least one person whom I'm assuming is a young man, or at least younger than me, who is pushing really hard on faith, whom I've now gotten to engage in a godly dialogue because somebody else engaged him through good deeds and a good life, even in the digital realm. People may not like us. They may even accuse us of doing wrong. They may hate our politics. They may hate the way we vote. They may completely, vehemently disagree with our worldview and our biblical philosophy. However, choosing a godly life glorifies God and can point others to Him too. And this matters. In this season of election, where our country and our cities Our nation is hanging in the balance. We have to remember that people's eternity is hanging in the balance, too. It matters that people can come to know Jesus through us and that we don't block their view. In my opinion, this election should not be about personalities because, let's face it, personalities come and go. And do you actually know the people? running for president? I don't. This election should be about philosophies, and I believe that believers should use their vote for what most aligns with a biblical philosophy and the algorithms set forth by God's word. The philosophies of this election are going to last far longer than the people and the personalities involved. But don't miss the bottom line. The choice of Jesus is absolutely about his person, his personality, who he is. He is eternal. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The way we live, even in this crazy election season, can help other people come to know him. That 
can be the fruit of choosing a godly life. So as we conclude this Algorithms with an Amen series, I want to encourage you to step back from all the rhetoric, to step back from the anger and the debate, to step back from the hatred, the divisiveness. Go vote. Go use your citizenship to take hold of the opportunity presented to you. But be sure that the foundation of everything is that you choose God, you choose God's ways, and then you choose a godly life. This is how the world will know that there is a God who loves them, who died for them, who values them, who wants a relationship with them. And if you want to change the fabric of our society, it goes back to Jesus. Let's not forget that, believers. Let's set our hearts in line with His algorithms, and let's live algorithms with an amen. I know that this Algorithms with an Amen series has been a lot to process, and yet I believe it is so foundational because what happens on the inside of us, the choices that we make internally, it is evidenced in how we live externally. So have these conversations with your kids. Live out of these Algorithms with an Amen You can find the accompanying discipleship conversation in the show notes. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He turn His countenance towards you and give you peace. And then, may the peace that you are experiencing internally be peace that you bring into your world so that the world will know.